Hey everyone, this is Josh. Welcome to another episode of Life on Side B. Normally, episodes drop every two weeks, but as a surprise for Pride Month, we are going to be dropping episodes every week. What is Pride Month, after all, without being bombarded by more and more queer content? So we hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, this is Grant Hartley. Welcome to the Life on Side B podcast. And today we have some very special guests. Um, And we're all going to be discussing something that we should have discussed a long time ago. I'm so excited to dive into it today. Um, We're going to be discussing uh, asexuality, the ace spectrum, gray sexuality, all these things. It's going to be very exciting. Um, I'm going to hand it over to my guests today to introduce themselves. So who wants to start? (laughs) Sure. Okay. So (laughs) we're all so polite. Um, My name is Colin Bryce. I am a speech language pathologist in Southeast Texas, um, specializing in voice and swallowing disorders, and I identify as gay and asexual. Just do it. You do it. I'm Michelle. Um, I'm a journalist. Um, I'm also in uh, Texas, more in the Dallas area, and um, I identify as asexual as well. Howdy, that's what you say in Texas. Um, I'm Will Ooh. Sipling. I went for it. Um, and I, I guess, what do I do? I work uh, doing freelance PR and digital comms and identify as ace. Um, but if I'm trying to be more broad, I usually just say queer. Um, but ace is, you know, specifically the thing. Thanks everyone for coming. I guess I should also say that over the past year or so, I think I had a conversation with uh, Will and Michelle specifically about this, but um, been discerning for myself whether I might also be uh, on the spectrum. I don't really know what words to use. Queer feels very comfy for me. Gay feels very comfy. Ace feels less comfy, but I don't know, sort of accurate. So. Um, That's part of the reason I'm very selfishly excited about um, hearing from all of you. Um, So this is going to be kind of free-flowing, but I guess to start, um, a lot of people might not really know how to go about defining what asexuality is or what the ace experience is or its boundaries or its contours. So do you guys have any thoughts and um, how you would describe that, how you would say that you fit on the ace spectrum, those sorts of things. I'll go for it. Um, so I would typically describe it to um, other people as really just not having a sexual attraction to other people or very, very little of it to other people. So That is a very broad spectrum, of course. Some people experience a little bit. Some people experience it only with people they're very, very close to. Some people don't at all. Um, And there's so many misconceptions surrounding that, I feel like, because people often don't 
I think, understand what sexual attraction is. Um, just because we experience so many different types of attractions um, all the time that a lot of them can get a little mixed up together. Um, I think it can be very hard for people to distinguish, especially between like romantic and sexual attraction. If you feel one, you might feel the other. And so I think it's difficult to explain exactly what that might be like, um, not experiencing the sexual attraction, um, when it is such an ingrained part of society and the way that most people see the world and the people around them. But I typically start with just trying to explain what sexual attraction is and um, that asexual people don't experience that, at least not to the same level that straight or allosexual people might. Yeah, that resonates a lot. Um, I think a big moment for me was... I guess, hearing the difference between sexual and sensual attraction, because after I wrote my book, I had more than one person reach out to me and say, I think you might be asexual. And I was like, like, okay, that was not invited. But also, what are you talking about? Like, my whole book is about how I experience attraction to men. So like, what like you sound ridiculous to me, but the more I looked into it, the more I realized that disconnect for me that, uh, I I just never pieced together that my attraction was more aesthetic. It was more, um, it was it certainly physical in some ways, but it was never, um, it never ventured into sex. Yeah, I think from my perspective, I think if I'm trying to just summarize it in a few words, I tell people I don't swing either way, um, which I think just kind of encapsulates a little bit about my own experience as being asexual. Um, I think uh, I think Colin, you said something interesting is that um, many people who are who are ace or trying to make sense of aceness um, often kind of have it like have have a disconnect with an experience. And that's kind of what makes it click for them. I think um, personally, you know, kind of growing up in, I actually grew up in a very kind of fundamentalist sort of background. And so purity culture was a really big deal and a really big scary thing. Um, And I, I always remember sort of being confused by um, the draw that things like pornography had. Um, and that was just because I found it very unattractive and actually kind mm. of something I was very repulsed by. I know for different people on the ACE spectrum, their relation to sexual desire is a little bit, you know, it could be something they feel more neutral about and some people feel more averse to it. That's personally where I fall more on that averse side of things. Um, but that for me was kind of like piecing things together and saying, oh yeah, this isn't really something that I... Uh, for one really experience or am drawn to at all and the things that I was Mm. drawn to and now that I have kind of those words to describe is what both Colin and Michelle were saying when you're able to kind of have language to think about different kinds of desires and attraction so like a sexual desire versus what a chemical desire might be versus 
um, aesthetic versus spiritual versus, you know, some, some other kind of level of attraction. And I think that's where the ACE experience can be helpful to our allosexual friends, our friends who do kind of experience a more normative kind of sexual attraction, um, is that we can bring something to the table that's a little bit different, you know, and maybe that can help others discern maybe where some of their attractions fall and make more sense of their desires as they're trying to, you know, deal with chastity or discern, you know, celibacy or something else. Absolutely. I, uh, I definitely like grew up having trouble with that kind of thing. Um, and I think part of it was being female, um, within maybe not to your extent, but somewhat like a purity culture kind of place, you know, very small town, very rural, very, very, um, you know, um, Christian area. And so I grew up obviously not experiencing sexual attraction, but had no idea, um, because women are supposed to be pure. Women don't lust like a good, honest, God-fearing woman like doesn't do that. So, you know, naturally somewhat fitting into that, um, not experiencing the sexual attraction, I assumed, yeah, that's just how women are, you know. Mm. That's so interesting because I think I felt that about myself too. Like to some extent, as a man, I was like, I, I, I had an inkling that it wasn't, I wasn't having the same experiences, but there was some part of me that was just like, I think I'm just doing a good job. <laughs> like, I think I'm just kind of more holy than y'all. Uh, <laughs> as far, like, especially porn, like that just so didn't resonate with me uh, whenever like guys in the small group would talk about that. Um, and some part of me wonders if I would have known I was gay <laughs> quicker than I did if I had like known that temptation, but I just never really did. Um, I think that something that you said, um, Will, about um, the experience of ace folks being able to shed light on the experiences of uh, allosexual folks, like helping them see distinctions that they don't currently see <laughs> and make sense of what they're experiencing. I think like that's something that I've seen as I've listened to all of you individually. Um, and I'm really excited to see like what allosexual folks can can get out of the conversation that we're going to continue to have. But I'm also thinking like, there's a lot of words that I think all of us understand pretty well, but I wonder if our audience might not as well. So, I mean, we've thrown around the word allosexual a little bit. Um, so we could talk about that, but even the, the kind of distinctions that we're drawing, like sensual versus sexual aesthetic, um, those sorts of things. Like, I feel like for a lot of people, they all really blend together. Um, so I wonder if you might offer any thoughts on what you mean when you're trying to describe your attraction to people. Um, I think for me, let's see. Um, we experience certain draws towards people 
Um, and it's very difficult to distinguish what's drawing us to that person oftentimes, but there are different types of draws we might have, and they might be combined, they might be separated, but so for example, I mean, there's a tons of different types. There's, yeah, there's an aesthetic attraction. So I might see a beautiful woman walking down the street and like, I can't take my eyes off of her because she's just gorgeous. And I just want to look at her and I feel like drawn to her. Um, that doesn't mean I want to sleep with her. That doesn't mean I want to form a romantic connection with her. I like, I'm just drawn to her and to her beauty. Um, I might see or get to know even someone who I feel a strong romantic connection to. I might, you know, have a crush. I might get super excited at the thought of them and just like want to get to know them very intimately and for them to like love me and for me to be able to like love them. Um, and that's, you know, obviously a very distinct thing. I might experience like a physical desire for someone. Um, I might be drawn to them very physically, um, which is a difficult distinction between sexual, but I think for me personally, that might look like I like the way they look. I like the way their, you know, body feels against mine in some way. I might want to hug them. I might want to hold their hand. Um, I want to touch them in a non-sexual um, way. But, you know, when we combine those with each other, I might, I don't know, feel a romantic and a physical desire for someone which... So it's it's very hard to distinguish these different types, but it is very important as we go about our relationships with people um, to determine what exactly do we want with them, um, especially in a fairly sexualized society where it feels often, in my opinion, if we feel drawn to someone, um, there's almost like an assumption that sexual desire, like will follow that if I feel something romantic. Um, well, I must want to have sex with them. Or, you know, I really want to hug this person. I'm, like, really drawn to them in a physical sense. Therefore, I must want to have sex with them. Um, it feels like it always defaults back to this sexual desire. But I think being able to parse between what we really want with people and how we feel drawn to them, how we want to connect with these individuals, I think is very important for establishing healthy relationships with the people around us. So I think especially within an asexual context, we've had to kind of figure that out because the, you know, very common, the one that everyone always defaults to isn't there for us. And so figuring out, because at some point, I think all of us realized, you know, we don't have the normal experience and so having to figure out what that meant for us um, was going to make us have to think about that a little bit more than maybe we would have had to otherwise. Tell me if that doesn't make sense. No, that was so beautiful. I want to, I can't wait to listen to that. <laughs> um, Very kind. One thing, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and speak for Grant here. Um, also, one thing that what you said is making me think about is and that I watched a YouTube video recently about just how asexual representation in media often there 
they're portrayed as needing redemption. So like their, their redemption is that they become sexual. And I think that's so sad because what it does is translate to that, those desires that you're talking about, like the spiritual, the aesthetic, the physical, like in, I had to really tease apart the fact that the, ultimate like the ultimate romantic relationship doesn't mean sex the ultimate aesthetic doesn't escalate to sex that's a that's a different attraction that's a different experience for me so there's some part of me that i think i especially just like living as a celibate christian i was thinking growing up like oh i can't experience a romantic relationship or a deep intimate relationship at its final level like at its ultimate level but uh i think part of being asexual and just kind of pondering that has has meant separating those ideas for me and that i intimacy does not equal sex that's not like the the final boss <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. I think there's something really interesting about um, needing to find that space to discern, like, as Michelle said, like parsing between those different desires. Because I think, you know, especially as, you know, an ace person who was confused by sexuality, you know, what did it mean if I wanted to be close to someone? You know, what did it mean for me to to, to desire someone, you know, if obviously, I mean, for me, it was obvious, um, that I didn't want to engage in sexual activity with them, but like, I still wanted something with them. And I think what that's helped me realize kind of along what you're saying, Colin, is that the desire that like through a Christian lens, the desire that like Christ has for us is a desire that is totally perfect. Um, and somehow mm. doesn't end in that final boss, right? And the fact that Jesus, you know, is this perfect human being who is the form, right? This ideal of what human relationships can be like, um, because what he represents to himself and the church is this perfect relationship that marriage can only hope to sort of symbolize in some sort of somewhat removed way, right? Um, it isn't a one-to-one -one direct correlation. Um, and I think that's why it's helpful to to think about asexuality not in this pathologized way, like a thing to be healed, or like in that now very infamous episode of House, right, where it's like the issue was like mm -hmm. someone who needed either therapy or, or needed to have some sort of medical procedure done. I can't remember what it was now. But, um, you know, it's like that's, I think that sort of thinking you know, maybe it's not an episode of House, but it's a way that the kind of Christian ideal thinks too much about Eden and not enough about the second, uh, like, heaven and new earth. What I mean by that is this, you know, um, you know, Eden was this, and this is probably something we've heard before, but, you know, Eden was sort of imperfect in some ways, right? There were these two trees there that you know one wasn't very good <laughs> as we know um it was a world in which there wasn't the perfect redemption of christ 
Um, and so Eden is in some way still lacking some things. Um, and ultimately, and obviously maybe if you read the patristics, you might see some different views about what was going on in terms of sexual activity before and after the fall. It's not really my point here. Um, but when we get to the new heavens, and the new earth, you know, there's a different kind of way that people have to relating to each other um, that doesn't have sex as being this kind of sexual activity as being this thing that gets turned into a consummation, right? Like it all kind of gets, there's a consummation that happens with sex and that's not something that happens anywhere else. You can't emotionally consummate. It has to be sexual. Mm. Um, and I just think that that's missing out on so many aspects of humanity, right? If they are neither married nor given in marriage in this new heavens and new earth, then what does that mean for us now, right? In the same way that we understand ecology, you know, we're not messing up this current planet because we're preparing for the new earth. You know, we're not messing up ourselves in terms of sanctification because we're preparing ourselves for the new heavens. You know, in what sense are we preparing ourselves in terms of sexuality if we understand what we're preparing ourselves for is this place where people are neither married nor given in marriage? And I think that those aspects of asexuality and the experience of asexual people, to step into one of those people's weird and different shoes could be helpful in trying to image what things will look like in the eschaton. Mm hmm. hmm. That's so good. That's so beautiful. I think, I think oftentimes the public or the, the allosexual experience or, or perception of asexual people is that ace people are kind of like robots, like not quite human, like they're going to get there eventually. But I think that sort of like what you've talked about, about um, the asexual experience imaging something that will be true of all humanity at the end of time that sort of flips flips it on its head a little bit <laughs> sort of um i don't know that's that's really cool something i was wondering is that um i think allosexual people can sometimes either either understand ace folks as like deficient or as like superheroes, depending, depending on what they're thinking about. Um, so like, uh, you're not quite experiencing what it really means to be human if you don't experience sexual desire on this side. But on the other side, it's like, ah, oh, but you're free from lust. Like you, you don't struggle with the, the, the sexual sins that I struggle with. So like, you've reached this level of perfection that I haven't reached. Um, and we've already troubled the waters on so many mis misconceptions about what it means to be ace. I, I invite you to trouble those waters too. Um, how have you guys, um, y'all thought about lust or about like the struggles of being ace? I know you're not free from sin. Um, what, tell me more. Gosh, if we were only free from <laughs> sin, if that was just part of being ace. Not quite. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, um, if we think of lust as being uh, a very specific kind of covetousness, then maybe no, maybe some ace people don't experience lust if that's what we think of. You know, not that we want to get gross here, but like there are specific things that one could do bodily that just are not going to appeal. Um, and so it's like those aren't, yeah, those aren't temptations per se. But if we understand 
lust to be something a little bit different than those hyper particular things. You know, like if we understand it to be a, a, a kind or flavor of covetousness, then yeah, I think ace people can absolutely lust if that kind of provides some common ground. And 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 how they might lust, how we might lust might be in really desiring someone and not knowing what the proper context of that desire is, right? If I want to monopolize that person's time and energy because I'm drawn to them, even if I'm not drawn to them in a sexual way, um, that could be covetous because I'm wanting something that isn't right for me or right for them. You know, I'm 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 kind of overcoming what they might want or what I might need by my drive for them. Even if it's just to spend time with them, even if it's just like how consumed I am by them, right? Like if I um if I was really into like a specific like TV series on Netflix, like maybe I'm not lusting after it in the sense that I don't want to have like a particular engage in a certain action with it. But like you might say that, oh yeah, like I'm lusting after that that series. And again, when we throw in these other humanly kinds of levels of attraction, if we're talking about directing this quote unquote lust towards other people, then of course there's this this particular sense in which that's still a struggle for ace people. I know for me, like I definitely, to go off of that, um, emotionally lust for people. Um, I mean, I have like consuming crushes and I really like in the end objectify people in that, you know, I'm fantasizing about them in this romantic sense or even like this friend sense where I'm no longer thinking of this person as they really are. They're no longer even a real person. They are the object of my fantasies and my desires in this way. And they become something that fulfills what I want. Um, and so like Will was saying, like lust is such a, in the end, like such a broad, like thing of covetousness that, I don't think you need sexual desire or um, attraction to be able to uh, lust for someone at all. And so taking away someone's like humanity through that objectification, sexual or not, I think is still a form of lust that I at least definitely fall into. Yeah, that totally resonates. And just like, I don't know, I'm thinking about like the aesthetic attraction, especially in the like the fantasies I've had about uh, just like a guy at the gym who I think is nice looking. Like that doesn't mean that it's it's heading in a sexual direction in my head. All it means is that I'm dehumanizing them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's making me think of is just like how I've navigated evangelicals talking about uh especially nudity in general like i remember when game of thrones was coming out there were so many articles about just kind of the the sin and the uh how it causes people to stumble and i was just like i was genuinely like i do not get it (laughs) like (laughs) i'm engaging in this media and like genuinely do not feel any any temptation whatsoever and so navigating those situations as well has been different for me. Like, it's just different as far as like how I've had to think about whether or not I'm humanizing people and whether I'm not has been, it's just a different conversation in my head 
uh, from allosexuals, in my opinion. I think that can be helpful to, like you said, Colin, it's, it's a positive thing. You know what? We're not just trying to avoid dehumanizing people. We're trying to actively humanize them. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that is an important distinction that, you know, if you can, if you can break off the particular pervasiveness of like what sexuality is, right? So if we're talking about like, say, pornography usage, um, you know, that is kind of a direct use of human beings, you know, uh, if we're thinking about often sex workers, you know, may not have the ability to fully consent to that if what they're needing to do is, you know, have a paycheck. Um, so like, even if it's not, you know, revenge porn or something like that, there's still this wider question of like, is this really humanizing for another person? And can you really be sure that that person on the other side is fully, you know, intending for that to be what they would want? If, you know, if they could pick something else, would they be doing this? Um, so I think that's the important thing for us to like think about as people, um, whether or not we are actively humanizing them. And I think in like, especially in, in the conversations about say relationships and partnerships, um, potentially marriage, if some you know people are called to that in the ACE world, you know, it's like, is, is, is part of that person's discernment towards one of those things or another based on, their own sense of like where God is calling them to, where the spirit is leading them to, or is it more towards this external identity of like, okay, well, I need to be in a relationship or well, I need to be celibate because that's what the good gays do. Um, You know, that's, I think those are all again, external things that if we're not careful will allow us to dehumanize ourselves or others because we're trying to fit a particular mold of being one of the safe gays or just like trying to, look and feel normal but again knowing that normalcy for a lot of people is this kind of idolatrous form of what marriage maybe isn't supposed to really be right it's almost maybe a status symbol for some people um but i think maybe that's where again that kind of ace perspective can help our aloe friends as they're trying to piece together maybe what they need to do now obviously they have the added element of sexual attraction as a part of maybe how they figure out discernment but there's still these other elements that are important too it isn't just about can i have sex or should i have sex like maybe there's a question of maybe i can be like paul and you know be celibate for the kingdom that kind of thing and it makes me laugh because like that (laughs) like side b people are already one step removed like we just don't have the the schematics that other christians do and then i feel like there's another step of removal for asexuals we're like we just truly we're making it up as we go in a lot of ways it's true trying to figure out how to honor the lord (laughs) in a way that like you are stressing is is not only like um serving us but serving others but yeah it's just funny that there's just not a whole lot of books about us (laughs) yet (laughs) that is the funny thing because like in in the literature like you do have and and obviously like you can say there there is it's true that zine culture definitely has power but you know at a certain point maybe you want to do more than just like read tumblr blogs about an experience um but then on the other side of it is like besides that like you really do have like academic journal articles about like social scientific research on ace people um 
And so it's kind of like, gosh, like I really wish, and I forget who said this, but you know, somebody talking and somewhere in the side B community, how like, um, that person was saying that, you know, they really wish that there were success stories in like the side B world. And like, yeah, like, I think that that's definitely true, but even so maybe even more so like, I wish that there was like a success story, like a hero to look up to, um, a patron saint of aceness, you know, and it's kind of, it's hard to navigate, um, this interesting experience without those things. So, I mean, personally, I hope that that means that just maybe people can show us a little bit of grace as we're trying to figure all of this out. Um, I mean, like, like a lot of people, a lot of LGBT people have to be their own psychologists, their own theologians, their own ethicists, their own philosophers. And so it's kind of like this other step removed, like you were saying, Colin, it's like, oh gosh, like, I don't know where to, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. He was going to write the first book out of us. We'll just call, we'll get Colin to do a round two. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) I'm all out of words. Uh Uh-oh, did Grant leave? He abandoned us. Oh no. That's it. We're taking over. Sorry, Josh. We now run the Life on Side B podcast. I'm your host, Will. Your new host. Make sure to subscribe to our our Patreon. Yeah, subscribe to my Patreon. Oh, man, a power play two, two seconds in. We revolted, Grant. I don't know if you can hear us, but we revolted. That's what they don't tell you about ace people. We're out for power. Power grabbers. <laughs> yeah, because you know, it's like, we're not distracted by sex. What else do we have? We got to go for the power. It's, o- it's only money and power. That's how you can get to us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And you all know, in the side B Christian world, that's where the money and power is. <laughs> that's why we're here. <laughs> that's the drive behind ace people is power. <laughs> really that's is. what we're getting at. <laughs> I heard um, I heard a side B person once say that um, there's a lot of people, side B people in Washington, the Washington D.C. area, for example, because if you don't have sex, what do you do? Go to school. Gosh, um, that's too like true. It's a similar thing. Interesting. Um, I mean, we're and, and do people in Washington D.C. go to school. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of us have done a lot of schooling. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. There is like an inordinately number of these. Yeah. Like Will has like two masters. There's like a lot of people like in the side B world that have like just like too much education. But I mean, it's that effect, right? It's like you got to figure it out. And so a lot of people like, I mean, you got to figure it out. Yeah. Is that Um, embarrassing? To have to I figure out. You know, it's funny. I feel like it's something to laugh at. I think it's definitely kind of funny. Um, I don't know. I bet there's some mean things that we could say, like about, well, we're not going to go there. I was going to say, it's like, you know, you have people like Greg Johnson who have like literal PhDs in church history and then some random like Theo bros on like Twitter who yell at him. Um, there's, there's clearly <laughs> right. a distinction between like, those are not the same. Totally. We can definitely keep that in if you'd like. Yeah, like this, I am not, I'm not a member of, I'm not, I'm not a paid staff of any of these organizations like Life on Side B. So this is just my own thoughts and feelings. Yeah. I don't go to a PCA seminary anymore. So. That's right. Girl, yeah. You can say whatever the heck you want. <laughs>
<laughs> I have nothing to lose, and the PhD that I'm pursuing is secular, so <laughs> I'll I'll be as messy as I want as I'm talking about humanizing people. True. I don't I don't work for the church or anything like that, so this is this is all me. Um, you know, it's funny because um, I was going to mention I don't know if this will stick in here as well, but maybe this is like just for the conversation. Um, so my I have a friend, yeah. uh, Chris Damien, who y'all might know from the internet. Um, Yes. Yeah. So we went to the same school, except he did a law degree um, alongside his uh, humanities degree. I just did the useless degree, um, aka the humanities degree. Um, and humanities grads will like the use of the word useless. Um, but um, yeah, so anyways, he's a really cool guy. But he talks a, a lot about um, how, so he used to be a corporate lawyer at, at Target. And he talked a lot about like within like the Catholic sphere, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to talk about LGBT things. Um, But at Target, he was like asked on multiple occasions to like be on faith and LGBT panels or like faith and Catholicism or things like that. And I just think Mm. it's kind of funny how, like you were saying, Colin, it's like right now, like I don't really like if my employers, (laughs) my, my employers are just like super chill Methodists who are like really, really like churchy Methodists and they're really solid people, but they're also very, very chill about all of this. And so like they would not yeah. care at all. You know what I'm saying? It's just sort of like this would not right. this would not affect my job. This would not like put my <laughs> employment like but you know, there were there are lots of people out there, not to make this all like a crazy conversation, but like there are a lot of people out there, like if they work for churches and things like that, who could like lose their jobs just to be on a podcast like this. Um anyways, sorry Josh, you can edit all of that out if you need to. I apologize. I'm sorry for taking this over, Grant. This is the blooper reel. This is the, this is, yeah, all kinds of laughs and fun we're having on this blooper reel. So, Grant, you dropped out for two seconds and we just derailed it. Yeah, that was completely my fault. I'm sorry. I I leave for two seconds and this is what you do. I'm so sorry. Like, I actually, like, legitimately, like, derailed it. I think it it was actually Will's fault. No, like, I'm being completely serious and saying it was my fault. (laughs) that's okay that's okay we all um, took shots mm-hmm. i had like five <laughs> did everyone take yeah did everyone take a couple of jello shots while i was gone or <laughs> i just got angsty <laughs> no jello in them <laughs> just pure ace rage mm-hmm. when you think about two words that go together ace and rage i'm angry grant ace rage sounds like a great band name it actually you know it really does Pure Ace Rage. Pure Ace Rage. I would listen to that so hard. 100%. I mean, if you're you're not having sex, you're just listening to really good music. That's like that (laughs) Bo Burnham Vine. No. How does that Bo Burnham Vine go? Which one? About like reading a good book. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's such a. Say it out loud. Yeah, no, it's probably not allowed. (laughs) It's us. I know the vine. That's a very Ace Vine. Yeah. That's a, that's what the yeah. Ace experience is. Just watch that vine. Yes, a really good book. Yes, and it's like Wee! exactly. <laughs> Josh, please keep that one in. This kind of thing that makes me realize <laughs> sure I should have realized I was Ace so much sooner. All of that kind of like funny Ace stuff. It was always like, oh yeah, so true. Because I'm a woman. Had no idea. <laughs> I could have known all this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait. That reminds me of a question that I didn't include, but I have been wondering about for a while. I think I tweeted this a while back, but um, the phrase gay vibes 
makes a visceral sense to me. Like, I know what you mean when you say gay vibes. I even know kind of what you mean when you say bi vibes. Mm -hmm. I know a little less what you mean when you say lesbian vibes, but I trust you. But I, like, what are ace vibes? Like, if you are picking up vibes that someone is ace, what, what, give me a description of the vibes. I knew you were going to ask that. I was actually scared about this because I saw you tweet about that. And I think I responded and was like, mm, 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 and deleted my response immediately. Okay, okay. Um, I feel like so much of it is based in stereotypes, like the robot thing. Like as soon as you say that, I think like robot, I'm asexual, but I still yeah. like jumped to that. So I think for me, like, cause I've known a weird amount of people who've been asexual again, how I didn't know I was ace. I have no idea. Missed something yeah. there. Um, thought I was a closeted bisexual, like closeted to myself bisexual for a long time. But I feel like the vibes I've always gotten from these people is like hyper focus in other areas, like sex will come up in conversation or whatever. And it's just nonchalant. They just like don't care in the same ways often. And then, but they're hyper focused on other things where I feel like people who care about sex a little bit more are maybe a little more balanced with some of those things because sex is also important. But mm. like every like asexual person I've known has been so invested in like one or two specific things and sex has not been one of them. It's like <laughs> clear in the way they talk to the gender that they're like into. It's like clear in the way they discuss sex in general and if you're looking really closely, I feel like it's clear in the way that they're discussing what they're like, what they really care about. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. That's not like a great, like three word vibe, but like no. it's there and it's often discernible. And there's been a couple people where it's like, something's not, you're one of the asexuals. <laughs> and I was yeah. right. And that's the thing, Michelle, you just said that I think resonates is that, Asexuality is rarely a three-word vibe. <laughs> it's complex, and it's such... I mean, there's asexual people who have sex, and they're happy about it. There's asexual people who, like, you know, don't want anything to do with anything like that. Like, such a big vibe. And, like, you know, some people have a small libido. Some people have, like, a large libido. Some people are repulsed by it. Some people, like, still are drawn to it and still do it for, like, reasons other than their attraction to the opposite gender. They want intimacy because they still love the people they're close to. You know, it's, like, you can't just go around and be like, hi, are you a virgin? Okay, you're a virgin. Maybe you're eight. Because, like, you know, it's all mm -hmm. over completely. So I feel like it's so hard to get one particular vibe just because it's yeah. so many different types of people. Like if we categorize the type of ace, I bet if we got small enough, we could get you a three word vibe for each little section of asexuality. But as a whole, yeah. it's so broad. Yeah, I, I think like I've watched a couple of videos on people from all over this, the ACE spectrum describing their experiences and trying to figure out how to, <laughs> how to condense what they say into like a phrase that could encompass all of them. But it's just, it's such a, a wide terrain. Like it's so broad um, that I wonder if it's even helpful. Like sometimes I wonder if it's even helpful to have a word like ACE to describe people who are so different. Like there's so many different people included under the umbrella. I mean, sure, there's like there's some something good about having a word 
that distinguishes one from like the aloe experience, a, a quote unquote, like standard experience of sexual attraction. But yeah, I don't know, something I wonder about. No, it's true. Well, I feel like if I'm trying to explain like what I am, like I can tell people, yeah, I'm asexual. And if they know what that means, fantastic. But like that really doesn't tell them anything about me. I have to like follow up with another like sentence or two, no matter how well they know what that term means, just because it could mean so many things. And that's really not typically the heart of what I'm trying to get at. I'm sorry, that's Colin, I cut you I'm... off. No, yeah, yeah. That's one reason I love that, like what y'all are talking about is one reason I love using the phrase, I'm a gay Christian, is because it's it's communicating that there's nuance and that there's critical thinking to be done. And like, that's what I'm hoping anyway. That's what I'm shooting for. And I, th I feel like asexuality is hopefully, if you're spending more than 10 seconds on it, is communicating the same thing, that there's nuance and spectrums involved and paragraphs of experience. Yeah, I think it's the similar, another one of my friends, um, he likes to call himself gay and gray. Like he's definitely gay, but experiences some, some shade of, of asexuality, uh, kind of difficult to describe. But gay and gray, it kind of gestures at something that's really helpful. It's not necessarily exhaustive. It's like, oh, I have a lot of other questions about what that means, but I, I, I kind of get it, you know? It's more like a, like a chromatic gray, like mm. colorful, but, but also it's gray. <laughs> that's <laughs> like generally the picture, but I don't know. I th yeah, I think Grant, what you're saying is super interesting because it's like it's helpful to have a term that distinguishes between something that is not allosexual. Like I think that's a helpful mm -hmm. thing, but also um, not just that it's not allosexual, but that it is still somewhere within a broad category that could be understood by the word queer, which again is sort of a hard word to make sense of, anyways. But like yeah. to be able to say that no, yeah, my experience isn't the, the same kind of experience that a straight cisgendered person might have. Mm -hmm. um, I think whatever whatever that term exactly is, and again, there's maybe some like some distinctions that are hard to grasp with a word like queer, um, and obviously with a word like ace, um, being able to communicate to another person, like, yeah, this is a different experience, I think is really helpful. I think for anyone that's had like a, a coming out experience um, has had the the experience of being able to inform people that your goals maybe in life, your um, direction, like maybe even spiritually, is maybe going to be a little bit different than theirs. I think those are all kind of helpful things that something about um, being an LGBT person is like like able to communicate, you know? Um, and that isn't to like say like, oh, look at us, we're super special superheroes. Um, even though I do know a lot of super special superheroes. Um, <laughs> um, but like- My Enneagram 4-ness is like, oh, but I am a super special. <laughs> and my Enneagram 2-ness <laughs> wants to just like affirm that in you, Grant. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know, does, it, does that make sense? It's just like there's, there's this- the helpfulness of being known by other people um, 
which is to say, like, if you look at your friends, like, I don't, maybe this is just a weird heterocultural thing that like, you know, the idea of like, okay, well, you gotta, we gotta match make you and then you gotta get married. And then you gotta like date people and stuff like that. It's like, well, first off, I never like agreed to that. Like, I don't think that that's what I need to do. Who's like, why are people telling me that? Um, you know, I think like kind of breaking that cycle and I'm not like trying to make that sound like that's totally a bad thing. Cause I'm not saying that, but I think the assumption that like what everybody must do or should do. Um, and even if that's not being said explicitly, it, it is obviously because ask anyone who has negative experiences with purity culture, it is at least implicitly being communicated as the highest good for people. And I think that really should make mm-hmm. us question, um, you know, our view of like what our Christian walk is, if that becomes our highest good, then we're missing out again on what like Christ's experience was in terms of his human relationships with other people, you know, again, back to Paul as an example of that. Um, and again, all, all of the amazing, lovely, holy people throughout Christian history that we could look at as, you know, being celibate. I mean, um, Francis of Assisi is one of the people I look to. And obviously, you know, that guy was celibate. Um, Ignatius of Loyola, another guy I look at. Uh, Teresa of Avila, you know, Julian of Norwich, all these people that we look at. And, and, and this isn't to say that like married people can't be holy because again, of course, I'm not saying that either, but like, look at, um, maybe this is just sort of this like ace thing, you know, and I'm not saying that like Francis was ace or Ignatius was ace, but like there's this, they had, they had a different goal and focus in life. And this just, again, goes back to Paul's statement. Like, you know, the married person is worried about those things, the things of the world, and the unmarried person is worried about the things of God. Like, that's just kind of what Paul says. Like, sorry if that's like a little bit rough to hear, but like, I think that those like, mm-hmm. and we all know that, you know, the, what, what, what we spend our, our time being consumed by mentally, emotionally, like that's what's going to drive mm-hmm. us. Like that's where we are going to be drawn and maybe even bound to. But freedom, interior freedom, external freedom in our lives is going to come through, you know, being able to to say, like, God, like, you are the thing that I choose, like, what I desire most, and, like, using that word desire, um, strongly desire, being known by God, and all the senses of that word known, that biblical sense, that knowing, that knowledge, the word I'd love to describe this is unitivity, that, that connectedness, that non-divided but still otherness that we get to have with God in relationship to him, mirroring God's love, the triune love for the, you know, the Trinity. Um, like we get to have that. We can, we, can, we can understand what that looks like and contemplate that and live into that in our, in our lives. And again, that's not to say that if your vocation is marriage, that like you're just missing out. Like, no, I'm not saying that, but you know, to not give ourselves room to think that maybe the default should not be just that. Maybe the default should be contemplating the vast, <laughs> the vastness of God uh, and the Trinity. Um, not to say that those two things are dichotomous, but like, yeah, like why not have space to think about those two different things? And I think that's where that, where um, maybe queer voices can help us refocus, especially in a post-purity culture world. Well, that brings up a very important question, which is, do you think Teresa of Avila has ace vibes? <laughs> I know Josh at the beginning of this was like, you know, uh, if there's stuff that, I don't know, maybe answering that question is something I wouldn't feel safe with, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're gonna that's say that's where you draw the line <laughs> <laughs> i draw the line at Teresa of uh will one thing you said i you said you kind of brought up just that we that's kind of the expectation of us as humans is to evolve and that means get married and kind of live this nuclear family lifestyle and keeping in mind that all of us panelists are in texas i i do want to bring it like has that gotten better like those expectations do you feel like they've kind of lightened up um or do they still feel like pretty rigid Uh, you know, I think, and I think this is where a lot of things that we know to be helpful are, are good. That's a really broad thing to say. I guess, let me, let me just start over. Um, things like community and being known by others is helpful. And so here's what I mean by that concretely, because it's really strange to say that that way. Um, when you have people in your community who are safe and open and experiencing God with freedom and aren't like trying to judge you for discerning your walk with God. And so in that, that safety and in that knownness, you're able to share with people, you know, where you're at in terms of your sexual identity or sexual orientation. I think it becomes clear for both you and them what those maybe expectations should or shouldn't be. And so as that person and those people are walking with you, you know, they can have space for not like trying to match make you, or they can have space to hear what you're saying. And it may be that mm. you can help them discern something. So I think maybe like in the texture of like, or the, 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 the culture of Texas, uh, I don't know if that's like, if people are just like more open, um, about things, I don't, I don't think so. But I think if we're not talking about like Texan culture in, in general, but our own communities, right. Being, that's why being known by community is so key, right? And that's not to say that like somebody who doesn't know you, who was like trying, I, I keep using this example, I'm sorry, but like in somebody who's trying to matchmake you, like that just comes through a lack of knowledge, right? They don't know you. But as with anything in the universe, knowing is good, intimacy is good, that unitivity is good. And so the more someone can be united to you and intimate with you and to know what your goals are, what your discernment is, um, like the more they're able to kind of share in your journey, in your experience with you. And again, that should only happen in a place where that person isn't going to direct you towards a lack of freedom, you know, towards your will being bound by, you know, religious messages that aren't healthy. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, the people, my best friends, you know, your best friends, like are people that like know our experience. And so, it's a point of interesting conversation or sometimes even a point of jokes um, because you got the <laughs> ace people. Um, but I don't know if that's like an exact answer to your question. No. Yeah. That's awesome. It brings me back to, I had a, um, a boss at one point who would bring me out to, he would take me out to lunch and tell me I needed to get married or I would burn in my desire. Oh, that was ooh. that was our lunch goal every that, time we went. Good you know, talk. <laughs> so much anxiety <laughs> trying to appear straight to this man, first of all. Um but second of all, just like pondering that and being like, why doesn't this make sense to me? Um but you're right, like there's that 
that aspect of he didn't know me and the people in my life who do know me, uh, there's so much more nuance and understanding. And not only do I benefit from that, obviously from, from not getting match made, but also, um, they, I think they benefit from it, from just experiencing that nuance as well. And being able to love other people well. Um, I was also wondering, we touched on this a little bit as you guys were talking about sort of discerning um, celibacy or relationships at different points in your experience, but like, how do you disentangle a call to celibacy from asexuality or like, what has the process been like feeling called to celibacy for those who feel called to celibacy while being ace? Like, I don't know, what has that experience been like? Does it feel like a sacrifice? Is celibacy inherently a sacrifice? All these questions pop into my head. I don't know if it's quite the same thing, but you could almost ask a similar question and say, why, you know, how do you disentangle being heterosexual and allosexual from like thinking, discerning marriage one way or another, you know? Mm -hmm. So again, like I realize that there are some differences and that isn't an exact one-to-one thing. Um, For sure. But that's sort of like one of my initial thoughts. I think it is, I think it is a complicated question. I've been talking a lot, so I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, I, I guess I'm coming at it from a different angle and Grant, I've talked to you a lot about this is just like, it certainly, certainly gives me pause. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I, I'm very hesitant to prescribe celibacy to others whenever it's something that I desire. And it's something just that from what I understand about myself biologically, is natural for me. Um, it feels, and again, I, I want to tread really lightly here because I'm still working this out, but it's definitely given me pause in how I don't want to, in the same way that straight Christians are asking me to pray the gay away, I don't want to pray the or prescribe like my way of life just because it's easy to me or natural to me or what I desire mm. to other queer Christians. Um, and that's just where I'm at right now. Like that's, I'm, I'm kind of a blob there, but that's my way of practicing empathy and understanding, trying to understand myself and others well. Um, but yeah, it, the word that comes to me is it's given me pause. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really like... Yeah, I was... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I was talking about... um, I was recently on another panel um, uh, discussing faith and sexuality and our our discerning theology. um, And the panelists were like bridged across ideological divides. So there were side A people, side B people. And we were all discussing how we came to our conclusions and how that looks now. And I like had to come out as like gray ish because I I was like, I really like, I feel like I would be misrepresenting myself if I didn't say this, but like, 
I think that celibacy is kind of easy for me. And so it, that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of made me chill out a little bit. Um, so I, I, yeah, I really resonate with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm really with Colin's impulse there of like not wanting to prescribe to people. I mean, if there's, if there's like an ace person, person listening to this and like, oh yeah, Grant, that's the question I wanted to hear. Like I wanted to know the answer to that. Like apologies if this wasn't exactly uh, that, but I guess <laughs> the, the, I mean, the general rules for discernment though, right? You know, it's like you begin with like this like sense of like the love that God has for you and loves you intimately. And you make decisions based on consolation, not desolation. There's like general discernment rules there, which are the same for everyone, you know, allosexual people, ace people, straight people, anyone that's like in between. So yeah, I mean, but in the same way that if someone were to ask me like, what should this particular person do in this other situation? I'd be like, I don't know, man, you know, like, Pray about it. Like operate out the love of God who loves you intimately. Um, um, but there's that is a funny thing you mentioned, Grant, about like, is there a sense in which this isn't quite the thing that you were saying, but it, it made me think about this. Is there a sense in which ace people aren't queer enough or the right kinds of queer to have a voice, right? Because I could imagine someone saying, well, you know, your side B and your celibate and you're somewhere on the ace spectrum. So you don't have a whole lot to lose by like saying, oh, I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm the theologically or whatever, I'm, I, I choose celibacy. Because you're not like, <laughs> that isn't a huge loss for you. What about those of us for whom that is a loss to, you know, land on one side, side A or side B, um, and we're allosexual. Yeah. So there's this other variable in there. And I think, that's that kind of again gives us that impulse of like okay well let me just kind of slow my roll a little bit and try to understand other other folks perspective um and again like i don't understand the aloe perspective i don't understand the straight perspective so i don't know what it's like for them when they're like really um i don't know if i can if i'm allowed to say this and maybe i should like rephrase the entire but like i don't know what it's like for a really horny person to like try to figure out if they're like called a celibacy like I, I don't, I don't, again, I don't know if that's okay to say. Um, let me, I can't think of what we're referencing. I'm sorry, Josh, this whole thing just needs to go. Um, Will, Will was literally like, is horny a slur? <laughs> like, I, don't, I honestly don't know like what is allowed to be said in this podcast. I mean, I listen to this podcast. It isn't like, I don't, I don't know. Anyways, like, I don't know what it's like to have say straight heterosexual, you know, approved marriage be open to me. And so therefore I have a hard time understanding what it's like to discern one way or another, you know, maybe celibacy if I'm a straight heterosexual person for whom that door is open. Um, I don't understand that perspective, but what I can say is that just leads me to want to be gracious. And so yep. I can only hope that straight heterosexual people who look at me could offer some kind of similar grace as well. And maybe that's a strength of ours. Like maybe that's, mm. you know, not, not just something that like that silence is me maybe recognizing some, some limitations in my perspective. But another part of it is like, I really am, I feel a lot more able to empathize with the other side, like the affirming Christians or the, 
I don't know. There's just a, there's a part of it that feels effortless for me, and I I I do attribute some of that to asexuality. Hmm. I think that's helpful um, to lead into um, one of the final questions. But uh, y- y'all know me. I like to talk about treasure that people can bring to into the church um queer treasure new jerusalem i'm on that shit again um so i'm wondering like when you think of ace folks which i mean not a monolith um but there is a kind of communal identity and there is a kind of i don't know sense of belonging um what what is ace treasure like what are things that ace people specifically bring into the church can offer the church. Um, what are what is tra- ace uh, treasure, honor, glory um, that will bring into the New Jerusalem? I love that question, Grant. Mm-hmm. I'm pondering that, but I just want to say, like, I love that question because it's so redemptive, <laughs> right? Like, it isn't. It isn't mm-hmm. this, like, uh, you're trying to find the yes. You know, you're not looking for the no of what ace people mm-hmm. can or can't bring or what they don't have to offer. It's like there is there is some finally fulfilled thing that we can have to bring that we're like awaiting, but it's like already and not yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I mean, it's finding God in all things. I'm I'm Jesuit formed, Will. I'm <laughs> I'm go. I'm going through a mini exercises right now. Actually, I'm in week five. My spiritual director says it's going to be like two years before I can do the full thing. If that gives you any perspective on where I'm at spiritually right now. So, I I think um, if I may be as be bold as bold as to answer my own question first. Ooh, I was as, like as I was hearing you all talk about your experiences, I was thinking about. Um, how it it like an ace person just by sharing about their life can force allosexual people to to consider distinctions that they they haven't been socialized to see um (laughs) to be able to think through oh what what are the contours of my attraction to this person where is it sexual and where is it something other than sexual, but I've just been trained to see everything as sexual. And so I haven't mm. been able to see this aspect of my, my attraction to this person, my love for this person. Um, so I think like, interestingly, ace folks can really help allo folks grow in their sexual relationships, like in their relationships that are characterized sometimes by sexual activity. You know, yeah. um, I think an ace perspective can strengthen marriages and, and I don't know. So I, I think like that can be a really helpful gift that ace folks can offer the church. Absolutely agree with that. 100%. Yeah. Just something about, I I think the, <laughs> tell me if this makes sense. The Imago day in people I think is often less cloudy for us. Like there's not that um, 
there's not that level of like we've been talking about a lot like humanizing people we we do a good job of just naturally being able to see the beauty in people and seeing the really just valuable and worthy things regardless of gender um in the people around us and i think that is kind of much more effortless for us as asexuals um as asexual people and i think that it's i don't know just a gift in my opinion um for me like i i think i can just look people in the eyes and n- see them in a godly way uh and that's i i don't know that's something i'm really grateful for i think to kind of like springboard off of like what y'all have been saying i think there's a sense in which like christ's words of like unless you become like one of these little children you cannot inherit the kingdom of god i think there's a sense in which because we're not as driven by sexuality for some of us um (laughs) some was very innocent too we're not really aware of these kinds of sexual things like we can can bring this childlike nature uh to the kingdom and i think Mm. to kind of summarize in a different way what you're saying grant i think an ace treasure can be discernment you know, I think we can borrow other people's faith. I think we can borrow other people's virtues. I think we can borrow other people's discernment, just like we can borrow other people's prayers. Um, and I think what people can borrow from ace people is that different way of discerning. Ace people have an experience of the world that gives them so many facets of things to look at in different ways. And it's also beautiful and artistic. Um, And I think just like you would go to an art museum and see on a canvas through an artist's eyes, I think people could talk to ace people and have a sense of what that canvas looks like to them. Um, And I think that's a way of seeing kind of the kingdom um, through a lens that, that just offers something so different something so different to our literal biology and chemistry. Like what, I think that's, I think that's a gift. Is there any other last thoughts you guys wanted to share with people who are listening? I just really love the positive, like reinforcement or not reinforcement, but the positive aspect that hearing y'all talk has brought to this because those are all such important things for everyone, asexual or allosexual. And I feel like the ace experience is often characterized as, yeah, either being robotic or even being broken. You know, we're just not able to experience something that's so good and like the perfection, the epitome of intimacy that other people experience on a day-to-day level. But the type of self-reflection with sexuality that I think every queer person experiences is so important. Um, The different types that you know, someone who's bisexual is going to have, someone who is homosexual, someone, you know, all the different aspects of that. Everyone brings something so unique and so beautiful to the kingdom of God through the way that they have experienced their own sexuality. And I think asexuality is like that too. And I think exactly what y'all were saying um, of, you know, 
it impacts relationships, um, sexual relationships, to be able to understand these things. It impacts non-sexual relationships. Um, I feel like our relationships are just one of the most critical parts of our lives. And so to be able to dive into them deeper and to understand them better and therefore to understand ourselves better is just something that's so, so important. And so I think getting to hear all these different types of LGBT plus experiences is just critical and like essential for us to grow as people together in community and therefore to like be able to understand ourselves better and to understand God and his love for us, um, especially through that community. I just think it's so important. And I love that this is ending on such a positive note about what asexuals like people can bring out. Beautiful. Yeah. I think that I started this podcast feeling very neutral about asexuality and just my experience with it. And uh, Michelle and Will, y'all especially have just made me, I think, feel a lot more like it's a, a beautiful part of me. So thank y'all. It, it is beautiful. I mean, this is the thing. God rearranged all of the rules of the universe so that you can know him. Mm -hmm. And like part of how you've been gifted to know him is through your ace experience. So it's just like, I think that is a supreme, beautiful, like tear jerking, heart rending gift to be able to receive. Mm -hmm. And I just like, I don't know, like, I just think that that's like, if God has rearranged all the rules of the universe to know me intimately, through exploring this, what kind of beautiful things will I learn about God? And I just, one more thing, sorry to keep this going, but Colin, what you were talking about earlier, that experience that you have and how you're able to see people, um, I definitely think that's part of the ACE experience. Um, I recently found out that I was asexual, um, probably a year and a half ago, but before that, exactly what you were explaining is something that I always felt of myself and that, to be honest, I was very proud of. Um, I really liked that about myself and I still do. And that being an asexual specific experience is something that hasn't taken that pride away from me. Um, I've been very grateful to be able to have that label to go with that experience because um, I feel like it helps me better grasp it, better understand it, and better relate to other people with that. Um, and so we're able to give that gift to others and to be able to receive that from others as well, like all the better because of this. And I just, it all makes me so happy. And personally, I am so grateful to be able to have this experience despite like the hardships that it brings about. I just, I think it's beautiful and I'm so grateful that asexuality is one of these sexualities out there. I just, they're all just so beautiful and just gorgeous in their own ways. And so I'm just so glad that like, I get to experience God in the world around me in this specific way. I think it has so many beautiful gifts and I'm just so excited about being asexual now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Go ace people. Go ace people. <laughs> oh 
This was just a love fest. Um, this was so good. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys, for sharing all your thoughts. Um, this was really, really good. And I think I'm going to be thinking about a lot of this stuff in the next few days, too, and sort of um, turning it around over and over in my head. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners will feel the same way. So um, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, and I'll see you guys soon or very soon. Thank you. Okay. Yeah.